Church family, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Guys, we come to this time where we open up your word and we spend some time studying it. God, teach us. Give us humble and teachable spirits. Give us an eagerness to know you better. Father, renew our love for you. Renew our our thankfulness for you and for what you've done for us through Jesus. God, may this time in your word be an act of worship that's pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, help me to say the words that you want me to say. Help us to live the lives that you want us to live in response to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church family, if you would open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Genesis, we're going to look at three verses today. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. The title of the message is God's Pleasure in Sacrificial Worship. God's Pleasure in Sacrificial Worship. I'm going to read, you follow along as I read from God's Word. I'm going to start again in chapter 8, verse 20 of Genesis. You follow along in your copy. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. It's the word of the Lord for his church today. The context of our passage for today is God's rescue of Noah. God's rescue of Noah and his family. What what were they being rescued from? From God's judgment. We spent some time talking about that, that last week and unpacking what that meant and looked like. They were being rescued from this worldwide judgment. People had rebelled against God and become corrupt. We remember that word from a couple of weeks ago. They've become corrupt through their sin. God saw their corruption, the corruption that has filled the earth, and God sent a flood to destroy that corruption. But, but, God showed grace. Remember that? God showed favor to this man named Noah, a man whose faith in God resulted in very clear obedience to God. It was a visible kind of faith. And God rescued Noah and his family. And as our passage last week came to a close, we saw Noah and his family, the animals, everyone who was on the ark, exiting the ark. God told them, it's time, get off the ark. And I'm sure gladly they said, yes, yes. And so they're exiting the ark. But what do you do when you step off of a boat that you've been on for about a year? What do you do when your feet touch dry ground and you know that your salvation is complete? You know that you have escaped the wrath of God. What do you do when you find yourself just really swallowed up, not in God's judgment like everyone else, but swallowed up in God's saving grace? 
What do you do when you've been rescued? I think our passage is very clear today. You express your thankfulness through worship to the one who is responsible for the rescuing. You express your thankfulness to the one who is responsible for the rescuing, and you do that by worshiping that one. Church, as we examine Noah's actions and God's actions, when, when rescue had been realized, when salvation had been complete, we learn this, that worship is the only proper response to God's gift of rescue. Worship is the only proper response to God's gift of rescue. I don't know about you, but I like reading and watching stories of people being rescued. I've liked that since I was a little kid. I don't know why. I've just always enjoyed those rescue stories, whether it's a water rescue or a mountain rescue or a wilderness rescue or a building burning rescue or a hostage rescue. I just love stories of people being rescued, and many of you may like that as well. We like stories of people being rescued. Often the headline um, in the news when someone's been rescued may, may sound something like this. Woman thanks bystander who performed life-saving first aid. Or maybe the headline says this, family thanks officers who found missing child. Or maybe the headline sounds something like this, man thanks fireman for rescuing wife from burning building. And then the picture under the headline shows the rescued person standing next to those who are responsible for the rescue. Right? They do a little, a little photo op as they've gone to the police station or the fire station or the hospital or wherever and, and they are giving thanks. Everyone is smiling and happy and rightfully so. The rescued person is thankful to be alive and the rescuers are pleased that they have been able to provide a successful rescue. I want you to think about how rude it would be for the person who was rescued to not reach out to those who did the rescuing. Not to reach out with expressions of gratitude and thankfulness. And yet I wonder if we're often guilty of such rudeness. And that's putting it mildly. Using the word rudeness. Church, God has provided for us a rescue of immeasurable worth at great cost to himself. And we need to learn from Noah that the right response is thankfulness. Thankfulness. But it's not just thankfulness. Because it's God who's doing the rescue, not just a person or a group of people. Because it's God who is doing the rescue. It's not just thankfulness that is the right response, but it is thankful worship. We are to respond with thankful worship. Because it's God who has done the rescue. Worship motivated by thankfulness for God's gift of rescue is the only proper response when we've been the recipient of God's saving work. Just to put it simply, our our kind of main idea statement, worship is the only proper response to God's gift of rescue. And we know it's the right response because this response brings pleasure to God. You can't get much clearer than that whether something's a, a good response or a bad response. If the response says in God's Word that it brings pleasure to God, that it pleased God, then we can rest assured that it is the right response. 
I want to share with you this morning five truths regarding worship from Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. And the first one has to do with the focus of worship. The focus of worship. Church, worship should be directed to God alone. Worship should be directed to God alone. This truth is simple, but it is foundational. God gets the glory. To whom does this text say that Noah built an altar? The text says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. To the Lord. Why? Because the Lord did the rescuing. He was responsible. Last week we saw the salvation which came to Noah and his family was God's doing. Remember, God shut the door of the ark. God remembered Noah. God made the wind blow which dried up the waters so that Noah and his family and the animals could get out of the ark. God did the saving thus God gets the glory. And I know this point seems like a like a no-brainer, but if it is a no-brainer then and I say this about myself as well, we often worship as if we didn't have a brain. Because so often our worship is not directed towards God. I wonder just how often our attempts at worshiping God fall short because we're not actually worshiping God. It might be more often than we actually like to admit. That's why I said that it's putting mildly to say rudeness. It's really idolatry when we fail to give God the proper thankful worship that He is worthy of. We can worship God through building a discipline of regular Bible study and prayer in our lives. But how often do we read our Bible and pray just so we can say that we did it or just so we can post a picture of us having our quiet time or just so maybe we can brag sometimes in, in even subtle ways about how many times we've read the Bible or, or how many devotional books we've read. We can worship God through gathering with our church family. But how often do we attend a church worship service just to be seen or just to voice our opinion about something or merely out of a sense of duty or ritual or just maybe so we can brag about having perfect attendance or something like that? Another way we worship God is through serving Him. But how often do we serve just so that people will see us and talk about us and say, well, look at that person and how well she serves or how well he serves? We can worship God through giving but how often do we drop our offerings in the offering box just to be seen? Or maybe we, we give so that we have some kind of bargaining leverage with God later in the week. Now God, remember that money that I gave. You should bless me this week with a good grade or an easy week or that promotion that I've been wanting. Friends, those might be acts of worship, but God is not the recipient of those acts of worship. Those acts of worship are directed at ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves if that's how we worship. Just think about how easy it is for us to twist the worship of God into worship of someone or something else. How easy it is for us to become the center of our worship. And when we, we masquerade behind a facade of God-centered worship, but really, if we were to examine our hearts, we're really in it for ourselves. Noah built an altar to the Lord. Not himself. Not to creation around him. He built an altar to the Lord. Worship should be directed to God alone. That's the focus of worship. Now I want you to notice the priority of worship. The priority of worship. Church family, worshiping God should be top priority. Worshiping God should be top 
priority. We get the object of our worship right, to put it that way, God. We get the focus right, that's God. But then what, what priority does that take in our lives? There's no other way to say it than it's got to take first place. It's got to take top priority. When we read and study Scripture, we need to pay attention to what gets emphasized in a text. There were probably lots of things that Noah needed to do when he got off the ark. Just think about it. I mean, he's been on his ark for, for about a year. He's stepping off with his family and these animals. Probably lots of things that needed to happen. His family needed shelter. They needed to gather food. They needed to explore their surroundings. The text doesn't tell us about all those things. Instead, the text drives our attention to Noah's act of worship. And by highlighting this one thing, God's Word is teaching us in this passage what should be our top priority in our lives as people who have been rescued from our sin. The flood has subsided. Noah and his family step off the ark. And the text says then, not later, but then, Noah built an altar to the Lord. Friends, worship of God must never, ever be relegated to second or third or fourth place in our lives. According to God, the most important thing Noah did after his rescue was worship God. Because that's what God gives us in His Word. That's what God wants us to know that Noah did when he got off the ark, is that he worshipped Him. He worshipped God. I wonder what place worshipping God has in your life. I wonder what place worshipping God has in my life. It's easy to say that God has first place, but sometimes our actions reveal otherwise. We just do a little self-evaluation, and I include myself in this. Does God get the first fruits of your income or just what's left over? Does God get first place on your calendar or just the time that's left over? Does God get first place in your home Or just an honorable mention before mealtime? Does God get first place in your choices when you're faced with temptations to sin? Or does He just get lip service maybe when you're around other Christians? This past week I had the privilege of serving, as I've shared with you earlier today, serving with a group of people from our church who gave first place to worshiping God with their time and their money and their energy by traveling to another city to serve people that they didn't know so that those people could be rescued from their sin and become worshipers of the one true God. A trip is its always a fun trip, but it's a very hard trip. It's a lot of work. It's, it's toiling on our bodies. Um, I hate to say it, but I've kind of been limping around a little bit since then. Um, it's, a, it's a tough trip. Uh, but not only did that group of people do the work that we had planned to do without complaint, they did extra work. We were supposed to have a little bit of free time one morning, and, and, uh, and, but we, had a, we were asked, hey, can you do this other uh, project? Can you serve in this other way? And, and when I said, hey, do you all want to go serve in this other way? It was, yes, no complaints, let's go serve. And it was, it was taxing as well. Now, I don't, I don't say this to focus all the attention on them, though I am thankful for them, but I do think they set a good example for what we're talking about here. Their, their service was an act of worship toward God, and they gave it top priority. Everything else just kind of fell to the wayside. Yes, let's serve. Yes, let's serve. Yes, let's serve. Many, many of you, many folks in our church family give God top priority in all sorts of various ways in our lives. And in church family, God is pleased with that. God is pleased with that. But we always have to realize that there's the danger that's lurking that something else would take first place in our lives. 
doesn't matter how long we've been a, a Christian, how long we've sought to give God first place. Listen, we have an enemy who, who, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And so we always have to keep a check on ourselves, making sure that God's, God has first place, that worshiping him takes top priority in our lives. I've seen, I've seen things like sports take top priority in people's lives. Years ago, I had a dad tell me, this is many years ago, yeah, I had a dad tell me that his daughter wouldn't be at church much because she had to play travel ball. And unfortunately, he was right. I hardly ever saw her, and I hardly ever saw him. I've seen entertainment take top priority in people's lives. But there seems to be little time for reading God's Word, but plenty of time for watching Netflix or keeping up with a favorite sports team or participating in whatever hobby. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers just at other people. I'm, I'm thinking about myself as well. As I ask some of these questions that I have asked and will ask, these self-evaluation questions, I've been convicted. Perhaps the Lord needs to convict you as well. If only we were as devoted to Jesus and His church and the mission of God as we are to our hobbies and our teams and our entertainment and our jobs and our leisure time. I think it's so good and healthy for our spiritual lives and our walks with the Lord when we, when we take regular opportunities to do some evaluation of our own lives and what's taking first place in our lives. There's no question, there's no debate, worshiping God should be top priority. We've seen the focus of worship. We've seen the priority of worship. Now I want us to look at the motivation for worship. I want us to look at the motivation for worship. Our third truth today is this. Thankfulness for rescue should motivate our worship. Thankfulness for rescue should motivate our worship. Maybe you're saying, why? You know, why, why, why should God get top place in my life? Or even maybe asking the question, I know that God should get first place. How can I keep Him there? <laughs> What's that look like? What should be the motivation that keeps him and keeps worshiping God as top priority in my life? I think it's thankfulness for rescue. Now, I don't, I know you don't see the word thankfulness in this passage, but I think that thankfulness is very much implied in this passage. Thankfulness is very much implied. Why is it that Noah would step off of the ark and right into a time of focused worship of God. Was it because he was forced to worship? Was it because he was bored and couldn't think of anything else to do? Was it because he was scared that if he didn't, God was going to punish him or be angry with him? Was it because he knew his parents would be disappointed in him if he didn't? Obviously, I know his parents weren't there, but just go with it for a moment. Was it because that was just the way he was raised? I don't have any other reason. It's just, this is how I was raised. Was it because his spouse made him? Or his children begged him? Now, those might be reasons that we go to church, to a church worship service. Those might be reasons we read our Bibles or volunteer to serve in the church. Those might be reasons that we give money to the mission of God or, or might be reasons we participate in any number of ways that you can worship God. But that was not Noah's motivation. It shouldn't be ours either. Why did Noah worship God? Well, the text doesn't say it explicitly. The context is clearly saying that Noah's reason for worshiping, his motivation for worshiping was a deep thankfulness for being rescued from God's judgment. 
I mean, Noah has just been spared the wrath of God. And here he stands post-flood on dry ground. And he is overwhelmed with thankfulness to the God who has rescued him. The earth was flooded. Everyone and everything died. But he and his family were spared. When Noah offered this burnt offering, it was an expression of thankfulness to God. Church, I want us to be aware that there are many wrong motivations for worshiping God. I mean, we could, we could have, in a way, God-directed worship, like wanting to worship God. We, we could even be trying to place worship as top priority in our lives, but we could be motivated by lots of wrong reasons. I just mentioned several in those questions that I asked you. I'm going to kind of mention a few of those again, just to make sure we realize how, how there's different ways that we can be motivated to worship that are wrong ways. Sometimes it's the motivation of obligation. It's duty. I, I have to. I'm just obligated to. It's kind of this burden in my life. Sometimes we're motivated to worship God out of fear. Well, well, if I, if I don't do this for God, then He's not going to love me. That, that's, a, that's a terrible motivation. Sometimes it's out of a motivation to satisfy the desires of others. Well, i to make my spouse happy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a worship service today. I'm going to make my mama proud, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, give some lip service to the Lord. Pretend like I'm worshiping. Sometimes it's tradition that motivates our worship. Sometimes it's, it's a culture, just like how we were raised. Well, this is how I was raised, but I don't really know why I'm doing it. It's just what, what we do. And those are all wrong motivations. Sometimes it's to get something from God. Well, if I do this, God will give me this. When we try to worship God from wrong motivations, listen to what the result is. God is not pleased with that worship. We do not experience the joyful satisfaction that worshiping God should bring into our lives. And I think the end result is we're going to get burned out very quickly from prioritizing worshiping God. It's going to be really, really hard to keep worship of God top priority in our lives when we're being motivated by these wrong motivations. You find it difficult to worship the Lord? Have you lost your joy for worshiping the Lord? Is gathering with your church family for worship more of a hassle than a joy? Is singing songs of praise to God something you'd rather just skip out on? Is listening to God's Word being read or preached kind of like a chore? Is reading your Bible and spending time praying just kind of another part of your to-do list? Is going to check it off? Is giving generously to the mission of God hard? Maybe a drudgery for you? Is serving in the church... Is serving the Lord in various ways, is that becoming an inconvenience to your schedule? If you answered yes to any of those questions, and if we're honest, probably all of us may would have to answer yes to at least, at least one, maybe more than one. It may be that our motivation to worship God in these ways is something other than deep thankfulness to God for salvation. You know, if you want a really quick indicator that your motivation for worship has become skewed, there's one thing in your life you can evaluate. Evaluate your level of complaining when it comes to worship. See, the telltale sign that 
you're not being motivated to worship God by deep thankfulness to God for all he's done for you through the gospel of Jesus is a complaining attitude. Say, how can you say that? How do you know? Because complaining and and thankfulness are like oil and water. They just they repel one another. They don't they don't go together. We, we talk about this in my house uh, from time to time with our children and try to remind ourselves, me and my wife, that that, that if, if we're having a complaining attitude, then we're not having a thankful attitude. And the antidote to having a complaining attitude is to be thankful because you just can't do both at the same time. So so if one of my ch- children is complaining about something, then I say, you know what? You're not having a thankful attitude right now. Don't just stop complaining. What you need to do instead is be thankful. Have a thankful heart. You can't complain and be thankful at the same time. Think for a minute about worship in the realm of the gathered church. Is your time worshiping with your church family filled with complaints about the style of music or length of the service or order of service, the building where you worship or the clothes people wear, or the time that you meet or any number of things which Scripture says really nothing about? So then it could be that your motivation for worship is not thankfulness to God for rescue. That's just worship in the realm of a church worship service. But that's not the only way we worship God. What about serving in the church? Is your service marked by complaint? What about participating in the mission of God? Is that marked by complaint? What about worshiping through giving of offerings? Is that marked by complaint? What about personal time with the Lord? Spending time reading God's Word and praying. Just you and the Lord. Is that marked by complaint? Are these areas of worship in our lives marked by complaint rather than thankfulness? See, I don't think Noah would have built an altar and worshipped God if he had got off the ark complaining about the smell of the ark. Which I'm sure could not have been that great of a smell. I don't think he would have got off the ark and built an altar and worshipped God if he had been complaining about how long it took for the waters to dry up. Stepping off, oh my goodness, Lord, how in the world did it take that long? Come on, aren't you God? You could have made those waters go away a little bit faster. I mean, my family's starting to drive me crazy. Animals are starting to drive me crazy. Smells starting to drive me crazy. Come on, Lord. If that had been his attitude, if he had stepped off the boat with a complaining attitude, I really don't think the text would have said, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Noah would have been worshiping the Lord with thankfulness in his heart if he had had a complaining attitude. But I think what this text reveals is that Noah had one thing on his mind. I've been rescued from God's wrath, and God did it out of His great love. Thank you, God. Thank you. You are worthy of praise. I know I often need an attitude check. I tell my kids that a lot. Alright, time to check that attitude. But I think I probably need... That check more than they do, if I'm honest. Perhaps some of us need an attitude check today. Perhaps some of us need to stop gazing at our list of personal preferences and start gazing at the cross of Christ where our sins were nailed to the cross as Jesus poured out His blood for you and for me. Perhaps we need to turn our eyes from all the things that we see that maybe we think are wrong in our lives that that would lead us to complain and, and instead turn our eyes to the cross of Christ and see all that God has done for us in sacrificing His own Son to rescue us from our sin. See, just as it is impossible to give thanks with a complaining attitude, it is also, I believe, impossible to sit at the foot of the cross and complain. You can't do it. 
In other words, if our lives are not, are not marked by thankful worship, then our lives are not marked by a deep and constant awareness of our sin and God's grace toward us in Christ. In other words, we're not spending enough time at the cross. Is your worship motivated by deep, overflowing thankfulness to the Lord? It is, is it obvious in your conversation with others, in the way you sing songs of praise with your church family, in your attentiveness, attentiveness to the Word as it's preached, in your discipline of personal Bible study and prayer, in your joyful and selfless service to the Lord, in your generous giving, in your sacrificial participation in the mission of God? Is it obvious that you have a well of thanksgiving just bubbling over inside of you? You just can't contain all of your appreciation for all the Lord has done for you. If you're truly thankful, if I'm truly thankful, then we will worship God from the proper motivation. And that's going to lead us to keep worship, the worship of God as top priority in our lives. Because listen, As a follower of Jesus, there is never a time that we can sit at the foot of the cross and not be thankful. That thankfulness does not diminish with time. That thankfulness grows with time. Thankfulness for rescue should motivate our worship. So we've seen the focus, seen the priority, seen the motivation for worship. Now I want you to notice the means. The means for worship. Acceptable worship, truth number four, acceptable worship requires sacrifice. Acceptable worship requires sacrifice. Verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah worshipped by means of a sacrifice. Blood was shed. Something died. Why is that? Well, this is a very clear indicator that Noah was still an imperfect man. Noah was a sinner. Even verse 21 specifically speaks of the evil which still existed in the hearts of mankind. Yes, the flood was the judgment of God. Yes, Noah's physical life was spared. But the sins of humanity had not been washed clean. If God was going to accept a sinner's worship, then the worship must come through means of a sacrifice. Because the payment for sin is death. And nothing has changed. God still only accepts worship through means of a sacrifice. But something has changed. You see, we no longer need an altar and clean animals and clean birds burning on the altar in order to worship God. Because we have Jesus. Jesus offered Himself as a once and for all sacrifice. And now all acceptable worship must be offered to God through Jesus. Which is why we have to live at the foot of the cross. You see, not only does the cross provide us with motivation to worship, it is the very means by which we could offer worship to God and God find that worship acceptable in His sight. And this is why, Christian, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. It's why our worship services must be centered upon the gospel of Jesus. It's why I must preach the gospel in every sermon. It's why our prayers must be filled with the gospel. Why our songs must be filled with the gospel. Why our homes should be filled with the gospel. Our conversations, everything of it, we must be filled with the gospel, not only to motivate us to worship, because that's the only way we can worship God. 
If all of our lives are to be lived in worship of God, then all of our lives must be filled with the Gospel of God. Church, our worship is only acceptable to God if it is offered by means of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so if we let the cross begin to slip away from our minds and think we're still going to be able to worship the Lord, we're mistaken. Now, this means that if you never believed in Jesus' death on the cross in your place and resurrection from the dead, you haven't been saved. That means you can't offer acceptable worship to the Lord. You can't be thankful for a salvation that you haven't received. That's not true of you. And so perhaps you need to believe in the gospel of Jesus today and be saved. So that you can worship God from a thankful heart that He's rescued you. If you have believed the gospel and been saved, then just keep reminding yourself of the gospel each and every day. Every time you worship the Lord, be reminded that it's only by the blood of Jesus that you could offer acceptable worship to God. God never looks at our worship and goes, wow, they're just doing a great job worshiping. I'm so glad they know how to worship me so well. He never looks at anyone and says that. If God accepts our worship, it's because He looks at us and says, there is a man, there is a woman, there is a boy, there is a girl, there is a, a church, there is a people who know the depth of their sin, know that they are unworthy of my love, and know that I love them so well that I sent my Son to sacrifice Himself for them so that they could be rescued from their sin. And they are resting, they are depending upon that grace right now. Their worship is acceptable in my sight. We've seen the focus of worship, the priority of worship, the motivation for worship, the means of worship. But finally, we want to see God's response. We want to see God's response. God, truth number five, God responds to sacrificial worship. That's what we see here, sacrificial worship. God responds to sacrificial worship with pleasure and undeserved faithfulness. Pleasure and undeserved faithfulness. That's God's response. Verse 21-22 reveals God's response to Noah's sacrificial worship when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in His heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For, you could translate that, although the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. First we see that God was pleased. Almighty God pleased. The picture given to us is that of a pleasing aroma making its way upward to God, and God is pleased with it. This is another indication that Noah was worshiping God from a proper motivation, from a proper attitude, from a thankful heart. Listen, God is not pleased with every act of worship. We saw this very clearly back in Genesis chapter 4. You remember the distinction there? God accepted Abel's worship. God rejected Cain's worship. God doesn't receive every act of worship. Many times in Scripture, God rejects the offering of people. But know this. When your worship is focused on God alone, when your worship of God is top priority, when you worship God from a heart of thankfulness for the salvation that He has given you, when you worship God through means of Jesus' sacrificial death in your place, then you can know this. God is pleased. Isn't that amazing? That we 
we sinners could worship God and Him go, I am pleased with that worship. That's amazing. We take for granted God's pleasure in the worship that we give when we do it the right way and the right motivation. We should never take that for granted. We don't have the right to offer God worship and Him be pleased. But here it says that God was pleased with Noah's worship. God takes pleasure in rescuing people for His glory. God wanted to rescue Noah. God enjoyed rescuing Noah. God still takes pleasure in rescuing people from His judgment. And that pleasure that God receives then leads to Him showing us undeserved faithfulness. God wasn't done showing Noah grace and mercy. God responded with both pleasure and undeserved faithfulness. We see this faithfulness in two ways. We see that God says He'll never again curse the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that the original curse from Genesis 3 was lifted. It's not that the curse was gone. It's just His promise that He's not going to add to the curse. The curse is not going to be expanded. And then second, the second way we see His faithfulness, in verse 22, He responds by promising the continuance of life-giving rhythms. Right? Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat. Summer and winter. Day and night. Those things are necessary if life is going to continue. And He says they're not going to cease. God is going to faithfully sustain the world so that human life can continue. Brothers and sisters, every time the sun rises and the sun sets, Every time the crops are harvested and the seasons change is a result of God's faithfulness. And this faithfulness is completely undeserved. In no way was Noah's sacrifice a work which earned God's favor. The text explicitly tells us that God's faithfulness to preserve life was in spite of the fact that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's not talking about pre-flood. He's talking about right now, right at that very moment. The intention of man's heart was still evil. And yet God was responding with faithfulness. It's an undeserved faithfulness. How could that be? I mean, I mean, again, we just take it for granted, but how could it be? How could it be that, that, that God would be pleased with an animal sacrifice offered by an imperfect man? How could God remain faithful to evil people? Well, church, it's because God was looking forward to a better sacrifice. You see, as God preserved life, as He showed His faithfulness, as the sun kept rising and setting, as the crops continued to be produced, as there was day and night and different seasons, God was ensuring that life would continue on this earth, which means He was ensuring that His greater promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 would be fulfilled. You see, His preservation of life was paving the way for the coming Messiah. The promised Deliverer who would be the once and for all sacrifice. To, who would please God with this aroma of the sacrifice of His Son. This One who would actually remove the curse from us by becoming a curse for us. See, by reminding us of the continued evil of humanity, God's revealing that we don't deserve anything good from Him, but we desperately need Him to be good towards us. And He has been. He has been. He has sent His Son. For God so loved the world, that means you and me, that He gave His only Son. God has sent His Son to lay down His life. He has been good for good to us. 
And therefore, because of what Jesus has done, we can enjoy God's faithfulness forever. Listen, before we could ever offer God acceptable worship, we must receive from God the gift that He's willing to give. Before God could ever receive something from us, we have to receive what He has for us. And that gift is His Son. And now is the time to receive it. See, this text says, while the earth remains. Did you catch that phrase? While the earth remains. Which means there is a time coming when this earth as we know it will not remain. His judgment will be poured out upon mankind and only genuine worshipers, those who receive the gift of rescue, will be saved. And so let me ask two questions. Can you worship God today because you have received this gift of salvation? Are you saved? Are you a child of God? Can you worship God because you have received this gift of salvation? And second question, if you have received this gift of salvation, are you worshiping God? Are you worshiping God? Is He the object of your worship? Is worshiping Him top priority in your life? Is your worship coming from this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what He's done for you? Are you remembering Jesus and His death on the cross as you seek to worship? Church, as this passage drives us to Jesus, it ought to drive us to worship. This is my prayer for us. May we humble ourselves before the cross. May we celebrate the rescue from sin that God has provided through Jesus. And may we be filled with genuine thankfulness for the gospel of Jesus. Because worship is the only proper response to God's gift of rescue. Church family, would you join me in just making this prayer to the Lord, God, may we give you right now in this place and then as we go from here, may we give you the worship that you and you alone are worthy of. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I can't, I can't see the hearts of everyone here today, but I, I can look into my heart as best as I can and know that I do not always give you the worship that you are worthy of. God, I know that. I have been convicted from this passage of Scripture. God, I'm not always overflowing with thankfulness. God, sometimes my attitude is marred by complaint. God, sometimes You are not the focus of my worship. Sometimes I am. God, I don't always give You top priority in my life. God, sometimes other things creep in and they they take first place. God, sometimes I fail to remember that I am nothing without Jesus' blood on the cross and I just I just think that I can just come and worship You because of me. And that's that's not true. I can't. I can only worship You because of Jesus. So God, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for how often we fail to worship You in a way that You can receive as acceptable in Your sight. 
And we ask for your help in keeping our eyes fixed upon the cross so that our worship of you is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, in these next few moments that you have given us the privilege of sharing together, God, may we enjoy worshiping you with our church family by singing songs of praise out of thankfulness in our hearts to you, who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.